Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations talking about education with thought leaders in any field from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're going to talk about schooling. In our guest case, schooling wide receivers from receptions and schooling quarterbacks from red zone picks. While our guest today is an NFL cornerback and featured guest at the Harvard Ed School's Ask with Forum What the NFL Can Teach Teachers, he's far more than just an athlete. He has his own foundation, took online classes at Harvard, and is the newly elected president of the NFL Players Association. We proudly welcome our first professional athlete to the show, Dominique Foxworth. Great. I'm happy to be here. Now I know where I fit. I was complaining earlier about competing with Arnie Duncan and Oprah, but if I'm the first athlete, then I, I have no competition. Top so I list. will be the best and the worst <laughs> athlete ever to be on the podcast. Now, is this your first time here at the Harvard Ed School? Um, it's not, actually. I have a couple friends that go to the the Kennedy School who take classes over here and a friend that goes to the um, to the business school that takes a class over here. So this is not my first time at ed school. It's my first time being at the ed school for anything that has anything to do with me. But So I'm happy to be here. Anything that requires you to wear a suit. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, uh, looking back at your career, let's start in high school. Let's kind of go way back and maybe a little bit through college. Knowing just how good you were at football. Uh, how did you keep academics prioritized, and how did you, as a student athlete, perceive your priorities, knowing that your your sports could take you places, but also knowing the importance of school? Uh, well, I'm gonna be completely honest with you. It was uh, when I was young, my parents made it a big emphasis, so it was that made it made education important to me. But also, I think I have like some sort of mental disposition that makes me incredibly competitive. So even in the classroom setting, I felt that that competition and that competitive nature kind of drive me, and I wanted to be a great student. And uh, my first kind of where I was first faced with the decision of sports or or academia was when I got to college, and I noticed that I was pretty good and I could make it to the NFL, and I kind of made a, a shift psychologically to focus more on sports than than uh, school because that was where my my biggest opportunity was but mind you I never I never failed any classes I, I ended up graduating early in, in three years because I took all summers and, and winter courses but my GPA is was significantly lower than I think it would have been had I not been had I not had so many requirements put upon me by the football team and and put extra requirements because I wanted to stand out and and go on to play football and 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 that created more opportunities for me to even have a larger effect on other people's educations. I think it's interesting to learn all the different support systems and people and, and help that is for student athletes at the college level. Can you talk about the academic uh, support that you've gotten through that, the richness of your academic experience, and then also people probably associate with you being a football player at Maryland, but I mean, what were your favorite classes too? Yeah, I was, uh, I guess I'll start at the end. I was an American studies major, so most of my favorite classes were in that field. I really enjoyed type of sociology type of classes where it's just about study of American culture and those sorts of things, race and and socioeconomic status, which really kind of guided my philanthropic career afterwards. So I really enjoyed those classes. The 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 best and worst thing about those classes was I was normally the only black male in those classes so it was great because I was kind of a star like I had a unique perspective but it also was difficult because um, being a minority you're, you're kind of forced to speak for every decision that's made by your group so I, uh, I remember when the DC sniper was was going on and everyone was like yeah it's 
they had their kind of um, stereotype of what type of person would be doing this, and then everyone was shocked when it was a black, two black guys. So I remember that class quite clearly where we discussed it, and everyone, <laughs> after questions posed, everyone turns and looks at me like I'm supposed to be able to hop into their mind. Like we discussed it at last month's black meeting, and I know exactly what's going on. There was, and when we would discuss things uh, that involve race, like the OJ trial, was was heavily uh, kind of saturated in, in concepts of race. So I remember discussing that, and every time someone wanted to figure out what OJ was thinking, it's like, you're not only are you black male, but you're a football player too. So you and OJ must know, you must know exactly what OJ is thinking. I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I, so that, that, that made it difficult, but it made it fun because I never had to, to fight for airtime. People always wanted to hear what I had to say, which, uh, as you can tell, I like to talk. Was there ever a temptation to leave college early? It seems like the NCAA football, it, it's more of an emphasis on graduating than, say, an NCAA basketball. You go well, one year and then go to the NBA. I, I, I wouldn't give the NCAA that much credit, honestly. Uh, I, I am, uh, although I'm a product of NCAA, I don't, I don't agree with all their policies and the decisions that, that are being made. And, I don't necessarily believe that the interest of the student athletes is what's number one in NCAA. So I wouldn't say that the emphasis is put on graduating. There's there's a different set of rules. The college football players, in order to get in the NFL, the NFL, you made the rule that you have to be three years removed from college. So or three years removed from high school. So what else are you going to do with that time? Whereas in basketball, they just put in the one-year rule, whereas before you could go straight in. So generally you have more time, so you're more likely to have more graduates. I think it's just a, a matter of um, of statistics in, in that way. So I I feel bad taking a shot at them. Actually, I don't. <laughs> it's uh, it's not a great system, and it's not, it's not set up for the success of the students, the student part of the athlete specifically. And it's honestly, it's not – set up for necessarily that well for the success part the athlete part of the student either any thoughts for improvement or how you know ncaa could do it better that's a that's an impossible question for me to answer right now i don't know honestly i think it's it's tough to mix the two whereas it's a an amateur so to speak and we're on podcast so no one saw my air quotes but it's it's a it's an amateur uh it's supposed to be based on concepts of amateurism but it's hard to buy into amateurism when uh anyone who's been to a major college sporting event or have watched it on tv or just the simple fact that you're watching it on tv uh, or the basketball games that just passed are being played at the the um, mercedes-benz superdome you have hours and hours of commercials everyone has there's um the the tournament is sponsored by someone and there's brackets everywhere and it's all they're talking about there's so much money surrounding it that's not what amateur athletics is anyone who knows anything about amateurism knows that that whole concept is is debunked immediately as soon as you step into big time college sports so it's just interesting that so much money is generated and it's not all about money but but so much money and attention is brought to that sport because of the labor of the athletes and then that labor is not necessarily adequately compensated and I know a lot of people say that the scholarship should cover that but if you compare it to any other industry then you're compensated based on how much revenue you can generate and it's not the same in college sports so I'm not necessarily advocating for paying players I'm just advocating for a more fair system and maybe the idea in the long run is to take sports out of college which we're the only country in the world that has 
that the feeder system for the pros is 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 college. Everyone else in the football, the the big football programs overseas or our soccer foot programs overseas are they have separate feeder systems, and baseball has a separate feeder system. Football and basketball, and I guess hockey to some degree, but a lot of them come from overseas. Is is really the only place in the entire world where the feeder system goes through college, which college's focus is should be academia. Continuing the sort of Foxworth story, you graduate from Maryland, get drafted, you're playing for the Broncos now. I read somewhere that you taking Harvard online courses. You're already a professional. You're already making lots of money. Uh, why? Yeah, that well, that um, report was slightly inaccurate. I took they weren't online. I took some executive education courses, uh, Harvard's um, business school, and it's it's kind of a desire of mine to to challenge myself intellectually and physically. And uh, when I first got to Denver, uh, one of the first things I did was I, I contacted the Denver Post and asked them if I could write a weekly column because I enjoy um, challenging myself physically or challenging myself mentally. I also did that because uh, in college, through my American Studies majors, I was forced to explore my own, the own image that I was creating because I was somewhat of a celebrity. And I recognized that the image that I was creating was somewhat of a detriment to, more of a detriment to society than a positive one, especially for black males, because they would see me and say, wow, he did it without learning anything, which is not necessarily true. So I don't have to go to class, which is not necessarily true. So my when I first got there, it was one of my first initiatives was to start writing because I, I kind of imagined that it was something that teachers could use or parents could use and all their sons wanted to be football players. They say, well, this one writes a lot and, and you read it. I remember I would release them on Tuesdays and write them Monday nights every Monday night except for we had a Monday night game obviously we push it back and I remember sitting in front of my computer many nights with a dictionary and a thesaurus because I would purposely uh, try to um, challenge my, myself with vocabulary because I knew that there was some kid out there that would read it and say, wow, I'd make sure that I use the words properly, obviously, but that was always was what was in the back of my mind. The, the, the um, column became fairly popular. I, I collected the, the columns into a book at the end of the year and sold them and profits went to a, a local charity. But that was really uh, more than the, the executive education. That was really what, what I chose to do to challenge myself intellectually while I was there. Would you consider what would you say to someone uh, who said that playing uh, an NFL game is as much an intellectual challenge as it is a physical challenge? <laughs> I would, uh, I guess, I would ask them on on what scale they 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 mean because it's definitely different. I, I I'm not my ego while my ego is fairly large, it's not big enough that I think that it's as intellectually challenging as say uh, getting a a degree at Harvard School of Education. But it's definitely a different type of intellect that's required. It's a it's a quick thinking and it's a, a weighing of options, a a kind of quick weighing of options that I've always recognized taking place. And it was even as young as eight, ten years old, I recognized that I had a gift in that area. Back then, when I wasn't uh, I was bigger than, or I was the same size as people, so I could play running back and things like that. Now I'm on the smaller end, so you play on the outside. But I would remember running the ball and kind of weighing how many people were over here, where my players were, and all this stuff in, in, in fractions of a sec second. So there definitely is a, a great deal of intellectual 
um, challenges while playing football. But the, the bottom line is you still do slam your head into other people's heads, so you can't be that bright <laughs> if you think that that's a good idea. So I'm, I'm definitely not going to pretend like we're all rocket scientists, but it, it definitely requires some challenge where I think if you took people, some of the smartest people in the world, and put them in those circumstances and not necessarily playing football because that possibly wouldn't go well or would be dangerous, but ask them to weigh certain options and make a decision in, as amount, in the same amount of time that we're required to do so, they would struggle. The theme of tonight's talk is what the NFL can teach teachers. Uh, you've been in the NFL, you're, you're NFL Player Association president. Um, what are like two or three quick things? Most a lot of our listeners are teachers here. What what are some takeaways that they can take from this podcast and, and say the next? I learned this from an NFL cornerback. <laughs> I think the the Time article does a good job of kind of uh, speaking to some general concepts that would be helpful and just. Uh, one of the things that I really liked in the article was that it focused on evaluating, constantly evaluating and improving. I, I don't know that I feel that the that teachers can learn that much from, from the NFL. Honestly, I think it's a bit of an oversimplification, which is a, it's a complex problem. And um, we are, I mean, people in general like to simplify, like the, the reason why this is a problem is X or the enemy in this case is Y. And many times the teachers union is villainized. And as a, a proud union president, that, that upsets me because it's, those are the people who are doing the work and are down and dirty. It's similar to to when we were locked out, people were mad at us. It's like, we didn't choose to be locked out. We just want to go in and work. And it's a similar situation teachers. While the teachers union isn't perfect, the players association isn't perfect, I'm sure they could find ways to improve also. But trying to vilify them is, is, is not the answer. So I, I think that the, it's more of a complex issue. And oversimplifying it is something that kind of happens when you're saying, what can you learn from the NFL? And I think that's dangerous. It's a, it's, it's, it's teachers to some degree. You always need better teachers, but it's also social and community. One of the, the initiatives that I started in Baltimore was uh, based more around social improvement than it was direct academic improvement because there's a, there's a, a real hole as far as um, goals are concerned. And I know what drove me to work hard, aside from kind of the the screw that I have loose that requires me to be better than everybody else, was that I had a goal. And even though my goal wasn't necessarily to be an English teacher, I did well in English because I had a goal that I was working towards. And I found that in working with young men, especially in Baltimore, that their um, their their kind of realm of opportunity in their mind is so small that they don't see the need to go to school and work hard. And so one of the things that we focused on was trying to, f to broaden their horizons, let them know that there are people who look like you who are accountants. There are people who look like you who are astronomers. There are people who look like you who are teachers, X, Y, Z, and all these other things. And our, our kids would find that motivation, and then that would drive them to work harder in school. And their test scores and grades would go up. It'd be marginal, and it'd be slower than if we had just kind of an intensive kind of uh, academic program but if you have that sort of intensive academic program what do the kids what motivates the kids when you're not there nothing <laughs> it's it's not there's no reason to do it I I've made this analogy before in talking to people that this is one of the major issues in the academics situation is if I 
uh, maybe I shouldn't use this because I was planning on using this tonight in the talk, but it's gonna air after the talk. <laughs> okay, good. If I if I if I gave you a, a shovel and said dig right here, you would probably laugh at me. Maybe you'd take a scoop, and a couple of weeks later you'd take a scoop. But if I said ten feet under here there's a pot of gold and gave you a shovel, you dig. So no matter what, if I give you a golden shovel or a jackhammer, it doesn't matter. If there's no reason for you to dig this hole, and in many cases, that's the perfect analogy for what some of our kids face is we, we walk over to them and we say, you dig this hole right now. It's important. It'll make you successful in life. They don't know what that means. They're kids. They have no idea. They just they don't care. <laughs> they might take a scoop here and there and a few years later come back to it. But if you explain to them that at the bottom of that is is your life, is success, is happiness, is moving out of an area if you're in a bad area, then you find that motivation. So when you're not there looking over their shoulder, helping them dig that hole, they'll be digging on their own. And that's just kind of – that's more what the issue is. And I don't think that – that the NFL has the answer to that because once you get to the NFL, you've been you've been sifted so many times. All the guys who don't work hard are gone. All the guys who have no talent are gone. All the guys who are more interested in off the field things than on field things are gone. And that's that's the difference is fixing the education system. We're not dealing with uh, with the cream of the crop in many cases. We're dealing with people with a lot of problems, a lot of challenges, and we're just expecting them to to grab on to this golden shovel just because we say it's important to them to, to do so. So, I don't know. I think it's it's a this whole this whole concept is a bit of an over oversimplification, but there are some things that that could be taken from it. I think that metaphor is great. Just exposing children to the pot of gold that is in their future, and that's through the Baltimore Born Foundation, correct? Yes. So, uh, last question, and it's kind of focused on goals right now. You're the newly elected president of the NFL Players Association. That's something you chose to run for. And you're also a professional athlete. And you're coming here today to Harvard to give this talk. I'm curious, what are your goals? Broad, overarching goals. Yeah, I have a, a lot of goals. The um, And you're also in your 29? Yeah, okay. I just turned 29, March 27th. So it was uh, Happy birthday. one of my most immediate goals, and it kind of relates specifically to Harvard, is, is business school. I'm applying in the third round to, to Harvard, Yale, and Wharton. Hopefully I could be a Harvard man. My wife uh, graduated from the law school here, so we have a small daughter. So one of, the, one of my main motivations is that she won't be able to hang that over my head, that she's the only one with an Ivy League degree when my daughter gets a little older. You'll be the only <laughs> one who appeared on the Harvard EdCast. <laughs> not necessarily true. My wife's uh, major focus is, is ed policy. Policy, so maybe we'll get her for next week. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll send her in for you, but then she'll have that over me too. <laughs> Whatever, she's better looking too, which which also makes it hard. It's a podcast; no one can see anyway. <laughs> true, I got nicer abs. She can't she can't beat me there. <laughs> I forgot the question. So right. take a picture of those abs, Jill, please. <laughs> Just about back to your goals. Uh, oh yeah, I um as as uh obviously business school is a big goal of mine, but immediately as far as the players' association is concerned, is we've kind of gotten through this last. Uh, lockout and we have 10 years of, uh, of labor peace so to speak I think it's important time for us to grow this organization I think we've underachieved significantly significantly in the area of, of um, capitalizing on the social capital that we have no one else in the world no organization in the world has as many popular and um, talented and sought-after individuals as in America as we do and we don't we don't um, monetize that properly I think there that being the official 
X of NFL players has a great deal of value, and we don't shop that nearly as well as we as well as we can, and we don't leverage our our personalities and our our power, so to speak, in as many ways as possible. Obviously, for our gain, but we don't leverage it as well as we can for social advancement. I think there are a, a number of of political issues that we obviously have to be delicate because all of our guys don't think the same way. But there are some issues that 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 there's kind of no debate on everyone feels the same way that we should we shouldn't be nervous about throwing our weight behind it as long as we believe in it so i think it's just kind of using our social capital more effectively and i think just monetizing that is something that we can do a lot better and if it's being the official hotel of of nfl players that's that has value because people look at players and say well they know luxury they know what's what's nice we don't have an official hotel we don't have an uh, official car or something like that i think is it's 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 value while the nfl capitalizes on it quite often and there's like the official soft drink of the nfl they they have logos and and like the little viking man on this that's that's on most of the minnesota viking things like he drinks x beverage that's not nearly as valuable as say adrian peterson drinks x beverage so i think we should do a better job of of kind of using our power first of all getting our logo out there more because our logo is is different than the nfl shield it's uh and that's nflplayers.com if anybody wants to check out the logo but it's important that we do a much better job of leveraging all of our our relationships and all of our benefit all the benefits that come along with with being professional athletes like i said uh, financially and also socially so that's that's kind of my PA goals, and like I said, personally, I'd like to go to business school, and from there, who knows? I, I've been fortunate enough to make good money playing in the NFL, so I think there's obviously several opportunities for me personally. Once I have a, a Harvard Business degree, and I've, I'm no longer the president of the Players Association, we'll see what doors open. HBS, if you don't accept this guy, you guys are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I sure hope so. Dominique Foxworth, thank you so much for not just all the work that you do for the Players Association, for your foundation, but just for appearing on this EdCast today and for coming to Harvard. We really do appreciate it. No problem. It's a lot of fun, guys. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.